My son texted me. Are you taking Savannah home today from school? I am. Then call me when y'all get in the car. Now this never happens. I want to talk to the two of you together about a specific thing. And because he's involved his sister, I know it's not bad. So I tell his sister, we got to call Hunter. He wants us to. He wants us to, yes. What could it be? I don't know. <laughs> I call him up. Hey. <laughs> hey, uh, Savannah and I are here. What's up? Oh, uh, did y'all watch The Last of Us? I, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, it's a new show. It's on HBO. Have you watched The Last of Us? Uh, no, we haven't watched it yet. Dude, you got to watch it. That was the exciting news. He must have been really excited because he also had just texted our little J-Hack group that we have. Sure, our family chat. Where it's us and the four kids. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that like never talks on there, you know, um, unless he's got something really good and it's, you know, like a movie or music or something like that. And he had said, everybody needs to watch The Last of Us. And we're like, okay, you know, what's it about? And so y'all get me in there. Well, this is a glowing recommendation. Uh -huh. So yeah, okay, we're going to, yeah. we're going to. Listen to you. Yeah, yeah. Y'all get me in there. You and Savannah. We've all got our... We need TV trays, by the way. Because now TV there's tray just talk? the three of us in the house. Like, we, we like to watch our TV shows together or watch a movie together. You know, it, okay, it changes the dinner table talks, like, granted. And actually, it doesn't change the dinner table talks. It just gets us doing our little family thing that we do. But here we are doing it in the living room with our TV trays, you know. Like, I asked him, you know, how violent is it? What is this? Yeah. Well, it's based on my favorite video game. Your favorite? Okay, well, my favorite right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And is it violent? Because i got to sell this to Aislinn. <laughs> right, exactly. Is it violent? Is it rapey? What's going on here? All you guys know how I feel about the violent movies That's and the right. scary movies. and the. He's like, oh, it's, it's pretty toned down. Okay. So the first scene comes on. It's like set in the 70s. And they're talking about fungi. I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then they're talking about psychedelics. And they're talking about how the fungi can control the mind. And they're talking about, but if the fungi takes over, well, the fungi couldn't take over because it can't live in a human body. It can't live in a temperature above 98 degrees. And all of a sudden, I am like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. What is this going to be about? Because... I've actually heard people make a lot of jokes about how Candida is going to take over the earth. Right. And so I'm like, oh, this is like a dystopian, like zombie, like it's fungi zombies, thing. But their controlling mechanism is fungus. And they're using scientific words about mm -hmm. the fungus. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're detailing and identifying these different fungus and mushrooms. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know all about this. Oh, yeah. So... Of course, it takes off like at the beginning of a zombie movie. All of a sudden, the National Guard and the police, and they're telling people to stay in their homes. Looting, and then they're rioting. Trying to get people to leave. And then they're trying, I mean, basically like a big pandemic like thing is occurring, but you don't exactly know what's happening. But all of a sudden, there's like zombie grandma trying to like eat somebody, right? And I'm like, and, oh, and oh she's my got, God. And she's got um, little wispy coming out of her hair mouth. tentacles coming out of her mouth. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting next to me and yeah. I'm like, we don't have to watch this. We don't have to watch this. So at that point, I've got my teacup in my hand. Like I'm clenching it and I'm watching. Am I going to be able to do this? Okay. Here's what I need to remember about this. A, it's about fungi. I'm very excited to see where this is going. They're in Texas. That's fun. I want to see that they're in Texas. Something's happening in Texas with fungi. Okay. That's interesting. And then also these dystopian ideas, like I just recently read the book Parable of the Sower and the follow-up to the one that goes, comes after that. And I'm telling you all this as this zombie stuff is starting to go off on the TV. So I'm basically trying to keep myself distracted by the blood and the guns and the zombies and all the stuff that's going off in front of me. 
because if they made a movie about the parable of the sower, it would be very violent. They would have to show some violent. And I'm like, now how violent does he say this goes on for on and on and on? And he says, no, no, no. It's about the content. It's not about the killing. It's really about what they're doing here. And then they get to a portion where they say that the fungi that they're dealing with is called cordyceps. Well, anybody that knows anything about fungi knows cordyceps. Cordyceps, in fact, is actually one of the if I flip over my different types of supplements that I take that are mushrooms, that have mushrooms in them, cordyceps is actually one of the ones that is often in it. In addition to that, I'm like, oh, I've seen cordyceps. I've seen it in a beetle and I've seen it in a toad. I've actually seen them. I go When I go out digging in the dirt, building a potato bed or whatever, I have dug up these things that were, and they weren't alive. I don't even know how to explain it. They were... Well, well, as it was explained at the very first scene of the show, you said 70s, I think it was 60s on a television show. They're talking about pandemic potential things from a 60s point of view. And one of the panelists is like, well, the thing we need to worry about the most is actually fungus, fungi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that they will take over the body Mm -hmm. of insects and they will not kill it all of the time so they can continue to feed on the body temperature that it is when it's living, mm-hmm. but they will eventually overtake it. it. Yes. And that's what I'm seeing. And it's trippy. It's just like, it's inside and outside. It was so noticeable to me to see something so strange that I actually looked it up. You know, I took a picture and then did my little research on it. How did it work? You were it. digging in the garden and... I was digging in the garden. I know what mycelium looks like. I know what fungi looks like. I know what it looks like in the soil. I know it when it's not even formed into anything, when it's just the hairs that are in the soil. I know when there's mycelium in the soil. And I knew that there was some kind of fungi in this insect and in this toad. The insect was the first one I saw. I think I sent it to somebody, maybe my friend Justin. I sent it to him and I was like, what's going on here? It looks like a fungi has taken over this beetle. Of course, he, you know, sent me a message about what it was and I looked into it some more and it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. So then here we're watching this show. It's a very typical like journey, zombie, and now they've quarantine gone from... zones. We're going to have to break out of the quarantine zone to take a person to a place. Yeah. And it started in like 2003 and now it's 2023. So for 20 years, they've been battling this pandemic, basically, this right. Zombie fungi. Right, where the fungus takes over a human and that wants to kill and eat you. Mm-hmm. And so they're showing you all these things. And spread the fungus. One of the things I think is most fascinating about it, and I guess this is what I, I'm so attracted to with like sci-fi and, you know, foundation and these dystopian futures, all of this kind of stuff is that I love the science of it and I like the reality of it. I like how close it is to reality. You like science fiction that doesn't take crazy leaps to tell the story. Fiction based on science. Yes. It's not Wookiees, and I'm sure you'll love a good Star Wars also. I like Star Wars too, though. I think there's some sci-fi there that's, you know, legit. But yeah, you're right. It's like made up things. This is really close to home. Oh, that's exactly what it looks like when they do the little hairs coming out of the person's mouth. That's what it looks like. That's That's what you saw in the toad and the beetle. Yeah. As it's going along and they're making the journey, uh, I don't want to tell you more about the show because I yeah, want you to watch the show, free. right? But there's these zombies on the ground and you see them all kind of turning at the same time and moving at the same time. It's kind of this weird effect. And then all of a sudden one of them says, well, you know that they put their hairs, their hairs connect in the soil and they talk to each other so they can actually communicate where you are, if you step on the hairs and or another section of that particular fungi connection, 
it will come to you. It feels you, it can hear you. And that's one of the things I'm always trying to talk to people about, about not destroying the network of mycelium, not destroying the network. That's how trees communicate with each other. That's how plants share vitamins and supplements and all of the things that plants need. This time last year, around this time, I gave you my top five movies from 2022. Because mm-hmm. at Beer and a Movie, we're putting that together right now. Mm-hmm. Expect that in a couple of weeks okay. of 2023. Yeah, yeah. Number one movie of 2022 for me was Come On, Come On. I went to go see that movie alone, and then I made you watch it as soon as it was available. Yes. It was about an uncle taking care of his nephew. They don't have much of a relationship. The nephew is probably on the spectrum, certainly very smart, smart. beyond his yeah. years. He's telling his uncle about mycorrhizal fungi. Yes. And how it's a network of fungus under the ground that allows trees and plants to communicate with one another. Yes. As soon as they said, because I this was episode two that they started talking about this part of it. Uh-huh. As soon as that happened, I was like, oh, never mind. She's locked. I'm in. I don't care how horrific it gets. She wants to know about the plant-based details that are now controlling humans taken over by a, fu- I said plant-based, fungus host. Oh, it's plant Fungi- too. A, fung- a fungus parasite and on this humans as a host. It's plant too, because I always say that Gaia, the earth, will kill humans before humans kill Gaia. And one of the things that will happen is, is that the plants will keep growing after we're gone yeah. the, and uh, the plants will just take over the buildings and whatever. Well, of course this is happening, right? But as I'm watching it, I'm watching it and I'm like, is that possible? Because they're inside of a building. How did, the, d- did they make light go? Okay. So there's a hole in the building that makes light. And so that's how, how did those seeds get in there? Okay. I'm looking at the plants. Did they put any kind of flowers that there's no way that flower would have been able to get there because how would that seed have gotten there? Like I am in it. I, and I, and not only am I in it, but I'm curious. I, I I paused it and I was like, do you guys think that other people like catch these scientific references when they're watching this kind of zombie movie that's made from a video game? Do people get that kind of stuff the way I do, the way I pay attention to it? I think as a narrative device for a zombie show, a lot of people are going to overlook it. It's just another zombie show. How are they explaining that these zombies got to where that they are? Oh, it's fungus. Okay, fine. And then they're not going to give it that much attention. But then you see, and by the way, it's on HBO Max. It comes out on Sundays, one mm-hmm. episode a week. There's only two episodes out at the time of this recording. Which is good for this whole like return on investment benefit to the energy of mm-hmm. whatever I feel, like the anxiety I might feel from like the killing and all it. of that kind of stuff. I'm not, we're not binging you, you, you it. You get a reset. The other thing is, is it. The very first episode when they're like shooting people and they're throwing kids in debt, you know, like when, when, when horrific type of human things are happening, that bothers me. But now they're, it's, it's these weird looking zombie things that don't look like humans. Where the funguses are now growing outside of their body, on the top of their bodies. Yeah. It's pretty good. And I'm like, how do they bleed? Like, I don't understand how they're still bleeding. Like, how does a gun (laughs) kill them? I mean, like they're fungi. How does a gun kill them? They don't have a heart. Like what, you know, uh, the whole thing. It's it's worth the investment if you're into the science fiction part of it like I am. We were talking to Hunter, Savannah, and I in the car uh, after we watched the second episode. And he said that a deviation from the video game is that in the video game, the main guy is played by Pedro Pascal here, who is He's fantastic. He's very handsome too, ladies. Well, I don't want to hear about this. He's but very handsome. 
in the video game, he has to put a gas, they have gas masks. Oh, okay. And they have to put gas masks on because there are spores in the air. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. But clearly the television production didn't want their leads wearing gas masks all the time, so they eliminated that from the show. And Hunter's like, it makes it not as believable. No. <laughs> like, okay. Well, the spores part of it, I they, they did make a comment about spores. So I'm guessing they probably said something to try to help you, the person that knows the video game, understand why they chose to do it this way. Something about how the spores don't spread the same way. Blah blah. I don't know. They said something about the spores. I didn't catch it, but I did find it interesting that, yeah. It's fun to have a show that we can all watch together at the house. It is. And look forward to every week. I will also add, there's another show. We don't have to dig into it deep, but... That 90s show has come out, you know, like that 70s show. Right. That has been some silly, fun, easygoing, red foreman comedy. Oh, okay. Then I'm going to go. RRR, a three no. hour, you be quiet, a three hour <laughs> Indian action movie. Now, that's a hard sell. I totally <laughs> no. get it. Yeah. It's on Netflix. If you give this 10 minutes and you like joy, you're going to love this movie. And if you make it to 53 minutes for that one scene, no, scene. no, no spoilers that I, that I showed you, pure, unadulterated filmmaking joy. It is fun. It is fun, I have to admit. I have a hard time with a really fast-moving movie that is also in a language I have to read on the... That's yeah. no doubt. It, and it's fast, you guys. It's so fast. So they're, they're fast-talking. Non-stop talking, action. And it's just like... Romance, yeah. all of it. Yeah. We watched The Banshees of Inishirin. I think that both so of us good. would suggest that you watch that. And we both watched Tar. I might yep. be higher on that than you. No, I really liked Tar. That's a filmmaking tour de force. Everything Everywhere All at Once has been nominated for a lot of Oscars. Will you by the rewatch way. that with me before totally. the Oscars? And you've... suggesting to people again who haven't seen it, okay. go see wanna, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I want to watch that again. Yeah. When I'm not watching movies, you're skinning pigs? I'm skinning pigs. <laughs> Here's how it went down these are the kinds of conversations we have here at the farm with your folks. John, your brother, is taking Jack, our nephew, out to go hunting. They, mm-hmm. they want Jack to kill his first pig. Yeah. These are South Texas hunting traditions mm-hmm. that you and I are very, very happy with. Yes. But their freezer's full. So Joe Aislin, if he does kill the pig, mm-hmm. it's yours. And I had mentioned to him that I was looking for some wild hog sure. for us. Yeah. Right. But you're going to have to skin it and retrieve it. Mm-hmm. Your dad immediately said, Joe won't know how to do that by himself. So he puts his name in the pot to go with me and show me the ropes and let's get going. And if they do indeed are successful, that's going to be Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sunday morning, bright and early. Guess 7 what? 7 a.m. I'm up doing my daily spiritual practice mm-hmm. stuff. And I get a text from my brother and it says, Jack wants me to let you know that he harvested you a pig. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. So we drive out to the hunting lease that your brother leases along with a few other guys, buddies of his. And I find the hog gutted and hoisted up by the hind legs, mm-hmm. ready to be skinned. Mm-hmm. I've never skinned a pig mm-hmm. before. I was explaining to your dad either to or from the place. I got a shotgun on my 13th, 14th birthday. And my dad was like, we're going to go hunting. I'm going to teach you these traditions. But we never did. We did a couple times here and there, but we never did it as a lifestyle. I think it's because my mom didn't allow him to leave her for the weekend or so that we would go do a trip like that Mm -hmm. for reasons that I'm beginning to understand more about my mom and the way that she was, the way that their relationship was because of the way that she was. 
So it's like, I don't mind skinning a pig and I'd love to learn. I like learning new things, but I just don't have that experience. So your dad, he likes teaching people things Mm -hmm. and he doesn't mind passing these traditions along and we dive right in. And it's uh, very sharp knives. Mm-hmm. Dad and, sharpened the knives before y'all left. And very tedious work. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult work. It's tedious work. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to get the knife between the skin and the muscle. And then the knife is so sharp, you don't want to accidentally penetrate the skin. Not that you're saving the skin. We're not saving the skin to you know use it for a rug or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just tedious, tedious, tedious. And he's like, Joe, you're you're trying to muscle through. Let the knife do the work. Great advice. It's just the knife is so sharp that you're tapping. You're tapping it off. You're not cutting. You're not sawing. Mm-hmm. And then you get up to the hooves. And you uh, go around the feet, and then now you're going around the back, and it there's, gets to a, be a point where you can roll up the skin that you've already gr- uh, taken off mm-hmm. and pull it down. We're both using our force to pull it toward the ground. The skin's peeling off like the skin of an orange or something. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, no, good, time to gently, gently, gently tap, 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 tap. Skin's coming off. Then you get to a point where you pull it again. Then, Aislinn, uh, how graphic. Do you think it's appropriate for me to get? Well, here's the deal. What I'm going to say is my new theory about everything is that that pig's next life is going to be a human. And so in the meantime, we are just like we would peel a cucumber or we would cut the guts out of a cucumber, the seeds out of a cucumber that's Mm -hmm. going to be a human in its next life. This is the same thing we're doing with a pig. And wild hogs... It's extremely important for land management in Texas that we harvest them. So The laws, we've talked about this on the show before, the laws of hunting in Texas are largely about animal management. Yep. And if there appears to be evidence that there aren't too many deer, that population's not getting too out of control, you have high limits on the deer. But if... There's plenty of deer, and now the deer are beginning to cause property damage, or the deer are beginning to potentially, by defecation into water systems, like cause issues. The limits are more liberal that season. But with hogs, very liberal laws. Yes. They need hogs to be controlled for reasons that we've talked about on the program a couple of times. And we could get into a deeper conversation, deeper contemplative conversation about humans are really the invasive species. I like to say that oftentimes the only invasive species on the planet is the human and that humans are now 7.9 billion on the planet, which means we're taking over their spaces. We're invading their spaces. They're not invading our spaces, but that's a whole different conversation. And as that, we're not going to be killing humans. Instead, we will go ahead and take care of helping to manage the land by um, harvesting our fresh wild meat where we're asked to do it. So the refuse is placed into a giant wash tub, Mm -hmm. the parts that aren't to be eaten, Mm -hmm. the skin, the hooves, the head, the innards. And then we cut there right on the spot. We cut the back straps out. Mm -hmm. That's a tenderloin. There are two of them. They run down the sides of the spine. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're a meat eater, you've had tenderloin at a restaurant before. There's an inside tenderloin, which is even more tender than the outside tenderloin. There are two of those. They're smaller cuts of meat. Then you've got your pork shoulder. That's the pork shoulder that I put into the Instant Pot last week that we talked about for an AIP alternative to cooking a pulled pork roast. Yep. Two of those, clearly. Then you've got your hams. Two of those, clearly, on the rump. 
and then you got your ribs. Now, the ribs of these wild hogs that are smaller, there's not enough meat for the energy expended in trying to get it off. Mm-hmm. So that goes in the wash tub. Because mm-hmm. these are not big, fat, like, agricultural hogs. No. We, you're right. These aren't fed tons of grain, tons of corn to get fat as possible. Then you've got, and I'm very excited about this, two big pieces of pork belly. Mm. Now, you and I have had amazing pork belly at charcuterie mm-hmm. restaurants, Cured, the place we talk about in San Antonio a lot. Mm-hmm. I've got two frozen big hunks of pork belly mm-hmm. that I'm going to do something interesting with. I just yep. don't know what yet. Then we quarter it. Get all those pieces of meat into a nice cooler and take it home. Before we do that, though, there is the place where we dump the parts that aren't going to be eaten. Mm-hmm. I was curious about this because we can't bring that stuff onto our land because that brings predators on our land, which we've talked about having to be careful with animals that die on our land. I can't remember how many acres this lease mm-hmm. is, but we drove and drove and drove way, way, way away. Yeah. And we just dumped it on the ground. Mm -hmm. But already there from the previous hunts and from the previous days of the guys that were out there that weekend, 200 buzzards. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. And they're... That's really cool. They're happy. They're eating. The ribs and the meats that were left behind that had been dumped an hour or two before John was with us, Uh he remarked that... My God, it's all gone already. Yeah. So, I mean, the ecosystem's being nourished. There is waste in the sense of you don't use every part of a pig. Yeah. But it's not being wasted. In fact, it's entering an ecosystem. Absolutely. It's very important. Get it home. And and rather than delay, and we should have delayed, we should have refrigerated that meat for a few days because then you let the blood settle and you can handle it easier. But we're kind of on a roll. Mm -hmm. Your, Your dad has a grinder. Yes. So we get those two hams and other pieces that aren't cuts that you would recognize from a butcher shop. We're putting fats and um, sinew and pieces that you don't want to eat into like a refuse bowl. Mm -hmm. And then we're putting chunks of anything that looks like good meat into the grinding bowl. Once we get that done, we grind 15 pounds of ground pork. Awesome. I later took the fat and pieces of meat that weren't going to be used and stuck it all in our Instant Pot. Yep. And I gi- I'm giving it to the chickens. Yes. So that's going to be... So they're be... also becoming... This hog is also becoming a chicken in its next life. That's right. It's also becoming <laughs> eggs in the life that I'm about to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all in our freezer now. Mm-hmm. Expect us to talk about the pork belly and everything else in upcoming yep. episodes. And I had an education experience and a really fun day with your dad. That's great. I'm happy that that happened. You know, we talked about the egg situation last week. One of the reasons why our egg count tends to stay really good, even in harder seasons, and even increases really quickly once they get back on top, is that we feed our chickens very well. We give them a ridiculous amount of grubs daily as I'm working in my garden. All the good greens that are coming out of my gardens. But we also make sure that every bit of refuse, when we had to drain the pond during the drought, the last bit of water that needed to be drained out of the pond during the drought, and we needed to clean out the pond, well, we ended up with a few dead catfish. Those catfish went into the chicken pen. So there's... So much of this regeneration and sustainable using all of that. That's part of the reason why our chickens are healthy and laying good eggs. And this is why you go and make the connections with your local farmers so that when you're seeking good quality foods, that you can get them from people that are 
very thoughtful about the way that they manage their land and the way that they take care of their animals. Every bit of table scraps. Every bit. Every bit of the parts of the vegetables that A, aren't going to go into a soup broth, but B, you're not going to eat this the tops of this vegetable or the bud of this onion. Yep. Goes to the chickens. That keeps our egg count up. That's it does. one of the ways we do it. When we clean out the refrigerator every one or two weeks, all goes to the chickens. I mean, circle of life, man. Yeah, it's important. And I think that there's a lot we're learning. I think the AIP diet stuff that I'm learning, there's a lot of things about that that make me think, well, if I could learn to live off of wild animal and greens, I would survive even in the worst case scenario of shut down type things at a grocery store because there's so much green produce, not just in my gardens, but we live in a rural area with a lot of livestock and there's a lot of greens that we don't eat that are actually edible that are on our properties even if we don't plant them all different kinds of things out there so you got wild hog you've got greens you can eat there's an interesting thing here to being a little bit ahead of the curve and knowing how you could sustain your life if you didn't have access to all of the convenience foods that we buy from the grocery stores So that being said, over the last two weeks, we have been talking about this autoimmune protocol elimination diet that I've been on Mm -hmm. and how that's working out for our home and what foods we shouldn't eat or what are the ones I need to exclude during the elimination phase, which foods can be included. So if you want to hear more about that, go back to the last two weeks and you'll get some more information about that. But now I want to talk a little bit about why. Why are you excluding some of these types of foods? Why do I eliminate certain foods on an autoimmune protocol? The information that I have here that I got from my naturopath, Dr. LaDonna Rocha. Things like grains, they contain lectins. These are the types of things that don't digest as easily. And if they cross the gut barrier, they can potentially cause some of the problems that you're dealing with. Mm. Um, These types of lectins contribute to dysbiosis through the inhibition of digestive enzymes, meaning they provide more food for potentially pathogenic flora. So they're like in your gut, they actually feed the flora that causes problems in your gut rather than the flora that can increase the health of your gut. Sure. I've heard of gut health. I've heard of probiotics to stimulate the good flora in your gut. So in the gluten category, that's one of the ones we've talked a lot about. It says, once inside the body, these protein fragments interact with the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, stimulating the release of inflammatory cytokines and activating cells of both the innate and the adaptive immune system. So they basically teach your, tell your body, there's something wrong here. Right. You need to go fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And so then your body, your immune system goes, oh, attack. And, it goes and then it goes, exactly. Now, when it comes to dairy, dairy just happens to be uh, the very top of the list of an allergenic food. So your body starts to create these antibody reactions. So you have sensitivities to these things. For these people, even trace proteins in like ghee can be a problem. So this is one of those things where it just generally is going to set off some issues. And here we're talking about an unhealthy body, right? Not a healthy, well body, an unhealthy body. An unhealthy body that's having a hard time means it can't do what it needs to do against certain issues. As a farmer, I know that those plants, eggs, all those things, they are built to keep you from eating them. 
They taste bitter, so you won't eat them. They have a protective enzyme so that you won't eat them. Basically, they're trying to keep you from killing their babies or taking their nutrients. So the elimination part is about keeping the foods out of your body so that your body can heal. And then the next phase is, we won't talk about it today, but the next phases are reintroducing these things in a regimented way to see how your body reacts. It just creates a system where your body is highly reactive when your body needs to slow down the highly reactive and start healing rather than fighting. I got you. Some of the other things that were just listed, legumes is the same thing. It basically sets off your immune system. It worsens dysbiosis. It talks about the processed vegetable oils and why those can be an issue. Of course, processed foods and chemicals, those are all things we've talked about for a great amount of time. And that's important to say, there will be no cheaply made processed foods with all of those words that you can't pronunciate. Yeah. Those are not on the diet. And what it means is, is a lot of the stuff that you're purchasing aren't as shelf stable. Like way back when, way back when Cortland was really little, we did a science experiment where we took, you know, three different things. We took fresh broccoli and then we took a Twinkie and then we took McDonald's hamburger and tried to see... Put them under a bell glass jar and... Will they rot, right? How fast? You want to eat the foods that rot fastest. You don't want to eat the foods that are still there like Play-Doh. A Twinkie is never going to die. That's the first <laughs> indicator that you should not eat it. Right. If it can't, There's if your system real can't process it. it, you shouldn't be eating it. Yeah. Right? The French fry you find under your car seat from three years ago that looks ex- like you could eat it right now. This is the one that I think is probably the hardest for most people. Added sugars. The first problem with sugar is that it is typically added to nutritionally poor foods in order to make them addictive. When the body is not receiving the nutrients it needs from these foods, a vicious cycle results in ever higher cravings for the added sugar. So it just means you want more of this thing you shouldn't have to begin with. Now you want more. Now you want more. The second problem with sugar is that increased consumption leads to issues with blood sugar regulation, which can look like insulin resistance, high blood sugar levels, hypoglycemia, and diabetes. Regulating blood sugar levels and maintaining insulin sensitivity are critical to regulating the immune system and reducing inflammation. Don't forget about the sugar alcohols and also the non-nutritive sweeteners. Because basically, everything has some kind of added sweetener or sugar or something like that in it. And these are all things that are saying, no, don't eat those. Sugar alcohols are fermentable sugars that are incompletely absorbed in the intestine and have been shown to disproportionately feed pathogenic bacteria in the gut. When we're talking about non-nutritive sweeteners like aspartame have been shown to increase oxidative distress and inflammation in the brain. Many of the long-term effects of these chemicals are unknown. So basically like we don't know, but we know it says on the package of aspartame could be causing cancer causing and rats saccharin i remember saccharin always had that sweet and low the thing about nuts and seeds is they contain digestive enzyme inhibitors as well as phytic acid which has the potential to worsen intestinal permeability and feed bacterial overgrowth in addition many seeds are common allergenic foods the thing about seeds and nuts goes back to this idea that a plant has enzymes in it that keep you from eating it, to try to keep animals from eating it. Right. Right? But our digestive systems are built to handle that if they are well. In fact, some seeds actually won't germinate if they haven't gone through the digestive system of an animal. So that's a symbiotic relationship between the seed and the animal in order to actually make the next phase of baby. 
there's a coffee that's really sought after that has gone through the intestinal tracts of God, some mammal. I can't remember. So here's a couple of the ones that I'm really interested in sharing the whys about. Nightshades or spices derived from nightshades. Foods in the nightshade family contain a subset of saponins called glycoalkaloids, which increase leaky gut, although by a different mechanism than grains and legumes. They're good at crossing the gut barrier and can be powerful adjuvants, compounds that stimulate the immune system. Each nightshade family food contains a different type that can have various effects on the gut and the immune system. Even very low levels of these glycoalkaloids in nightshade family foods can contribute to a variety of health issues over time, especially in the presence of an autoimmune disease. In addition, some nightshade families, like peppers, contain capsaicin, which has been shown to be a potent irritant to certain tissues and is possibly a contributor to intestinal permeability. Mm. And basically, it just goes back to that same concept that I had said before several episodes ago, that nightshades are one of the poisonous, I mean, they've got poisons in them. Right. You know, uh, I always think it's kind of funny that um, people will say, did you know that apple seeds have arsenic in them? And I'm like, yeah, what do you think? We created all of these different chemicals that we use. We created them by finding things in plants and taking them out and using them to things. Well, this is how we create poisons and things like that. Eggs. This is a big one for me. And the things like this where it's like, these are the healthy things I was eating. These are the things I'm growing in my garden. These are supposed to be good for me. These are the things that our chickens give us in abundance. Yeah. There are a few reasons why a person with gut issues or autoimmune disease would avoid eating eggs. First, there are one of the most allergenic foods affecting approximately 2 to 3% of the entire population. Okay, so that goes back to grains, dairy, all those things. This is just one of the things that people tend to be sensitive to. Second, and this is the part that I'm really into, they contain lysozyme, which is an enzyme that protects the yolk against microbial attack as it grows. It is very good at breaking down cell membrane components of pathogenic bacteria in our gut and subsequently transports these bacterial protein fragments across the gut barrier, damaging the gut and worsening the intestinal permeability. Lysozyme also has the ability to form strong complexes with other proteins and can transport them into the body. Next, many of the other proteins in egg whites are protease inhibitors, making the lysozyme and the egg white protein complexes resistant to our digestive enzymes. Absorption of pure egg white lysozyme by itself into the circulation is probably not hazardous, but the problem is the other proteins being transported by a lysozyme across the gut barrier, this is likely the reason why eggs, especially the whites, cause so many difficulties for those with gut issues or autoimmune diseases. That's interesting. Yeah. And if you think about a lot of what we've taught people about the safety of eggs, right? The safety of eggs that you don't put them in the refrigerator, that you don't want them to be washed, that you don't want to do all of these things, that you're breaking down the natural inhibitors that the egg has on it to protect it. Right. Those same natural inhibitors that the egg has on the shell and that it has inside is there to protect the egg, is to protect it from getting some sort of a bacteria or something that infects the baby growing. Right. And then, of course, alcohol causes an increased intestinal permeability by unraveling the tight junctions as well as the adherent junctions. So basically, don't drink alcohol. Don't drink all these things because there's like auxins and zymes and all kinds of things that are crossing. Your gut is, is weakened during these autoimmune issues. And 
as we said a few episodes, they pass over into our other systems and our system then goes to war against itself and creates all kinds of problems. And I think the whys are really important because a lot of people have been asking me those questions like, but why peppers? You know, but why eggs? You know, why? And it's understanding even in the natural foods. And I think that that's the thing. It's like, the unnatural foods, okay, we can understand that. And I'm one sure. of these people. A the unnatural foods, gotcha. I can understand that, sure. right? How, how are chemicals dense. that don't break down outside the body going to affect your internal body? Right. I'm with you. But it's the whys of the natural things. Why are we cutting natural things out of our diet? Well, these are the whys that I think are really interesting for that science of cordyceps and all of these, you know. And I think it's important to say that it's not even that the eggs caused the problem. No, no, no. It's the other stuff then weakened your gut so that other things that wouldn't normally cause a problem like tomatoes and eggs, right. grains, have, yes. a, have a key to get through membranes that they weren't supposed to be getting through. And some of it might be like the return on investment. Like you shouldn't eat, maybe we shouldn't eat so much tomato, right? We got tomato sauce, tomato sauce, tomato, tomato. And I love tomatoes. We eat tomatoes all the time and everything, barbecue sauce, ketchup, you know, all of the different things that we're eating tomatoes in. The amount and the return on investment for a plant that has parts of it that are going to make you a little sick. You Don't just, do that one in bulk. Right. I'm with you. Exactly. Well, we're still trying to figure out in the kitchen how to replace this with that. Mm -hmm. We're no stranger to gluten-free pasta. We've been buying that now as long as you've been gluten-free. But gluten-free often means, right, rice, almond flour, things that I now can't eat. So on Thrive.com, you know, the deliver it to you to our grocery service that has a lot of healthy options. Mm-hmm. You found an AIP-friendly pasta. I found a couple. Uh, one of the good brands is Jovial. You can buy that. You don't have to be on Thrive to get Jovial. There's other places you can buy that from. You can also buy Jovial at the Natural Grocers. And then there's another one that's like a Korean glass made out of sweet potato, which I'm really interested to try. I did notice when I went to Natural Grocers the other day, There's a, in the refrigerated section, they have some other types of AIP-approved noodles that are fresh and like in the refrigerated section. Okay. I'm interested in trying some of those in the future as well. Definitely. So you made me something the other night with one of these pastas. I was like trying to think of, you were trying, let's see, you were trying to think of something. I'm trying to think of something warm. I need something heavy duty, something besides spinach and meat, like uh -huh. <laughs> something besides broccoli and meat. Right. <laughs> like You said, let's use one of these new pastas. Mm -hmm. Looked up a lemon garlic shrimp pasta. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to throw some cream in there. Or I'm going to throw some butter, certainly, in there. Yeah. I'm going to give it those flavors that I grew up on and that I love giving to you once upon a time. How do you cook anything without cheese? Surely there's some kind of cheese you can eat, Aislinn. Right. I did ask you that, didn't <laughs> yes, I? I wanted like, come to on, come use on. a leftover steak to make quesadillas. Mm -hmm. You've got some, in, from Thrive, you got some uh, AIP wraps. Mm -hmm. I can use the wraps as a tortilla. So, But they do make an AIP kind of cheese substitute nope. right mm -mm, nothing <sighs> the closest thing to a cream you're going to come across is a coconut based yogurt that doesn't have sugar in it okay this is your pasta cooked and set aside and then in my cast iron skillet i threw olive oil garlic and let that cook a little bit and then added a bunch of shrimp mm -hmm. cooked it for two minutes on each side right and then you pull that out of your pan add a little more oil to the pan and i threw in a ton of a spinach and kale Mm -hmm. Let that get wilty, then pull it out. 
Add a little more oil and I do a bunch of mushrooms. Yeah. I said, oh, how about some mushrooms for some other meatiness, some when other the, creaminess, something that like gives you some oomph. Well, I oomph the mushrooms. <laughs> when they're cooked, I throw the spinach and the kale back in. I throw the shrimp back in. I throw the pasta in and I added a little lemon juice, more, a little more olive oil and some salt. No pepper. Stirred it up. Made sure everything was warm. Went over to one of your raised beds that's like a kitchen bed and grabbed some fresh parsley. Chopped that up and threw it on top of this. That was a nice meal, and we had leftovers with it. That's right. I ate that. It was delicious. And then ate it again the next night instead of the quesadillas that you wanted to make. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're making a steak and a baked potato for Savannah mm -hmm. because we're, well, she's still a teenager, so. <laughs> Let's bring this episode home with our random question of the week. Here's an interesting one, okay. especially since, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about virtues and what's the best virtue and all of that kind of stuff. And, of course, we're talking about hunting animals. We're talking about zombies. Is torture ever justified? What I know of the main reasons why torture is frowned upon outside of, you know, ethical human violations is that you can't trust the information you retrieve from torture. Yeah. That at some point during a torture, they're going to tell you whatever they think you're looking for to stop the torture. Right. Now, that doesn't, I don't think, answer the question. That's no. how reliable is information received yeah. under torture. Okay. What's the point, basically, is what you're <laughs> kind of... I believe... It's not even reliable information. Why would we even consider it? I had a come-to-Jesus moment with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to justify... Punishing murder with murder. Right. Or like spanking a kid. It's kind of the same. You hit Johnny? Come over here. I'm going to give you a spanking. Mm -hmm. I know that the torture of animals is a key indicator of potential sociopathic behavior for an adult. Like if Have you, you looked did this it up? with a kid. <laughs> yeah. If you did it as a kid and took glee with it, yeah. were obsessed with it, Dahmer, those kinds of people, mm -hmm. all tortured animals first. So using kind of weaving all that logic together, how would do we torture and then call ourselves good people? So I'm going to say the answer is no to that question. Yeah, the answer has to be no for me because I believe in interconnectedness. I believe that we are one and anything that you do affects me and anything that I do affects you. And so if I torture you, I'm torturing me. If I torture anything, I'm torturing the whole if I torture the planet, if I torture an ant, if I torture the earth by just setting a silly fire for no reason, like it all affects me. It's because of interconnection that I couldn't do that. And on top of the fact that I couldn't support it, do it, watch it, like I couldn't, I can't. Watching somebody stub their toe makes me hurt. I can't mm -hmm. even imagine actually hurting somebody. Why don't we lay it down right now? Dinner Table Talks, a torture-free podcast. <laughs> A torture-free podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime... Hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. <laughs>